0: Good morning, Smithfield. Is our Lord not good? Is he not worthy of our praise? Is he not worthy of our expectancy when we come into this place and we're just like, ready, like, Lord, what do you have for me today? And and engaged like, Lord, I'm just giving my heart to you. So maybe you came in here today and you weren't quite prepared for what the Lord was gonna do. But as I pray for this message, I would just encourage you to be breathing prayers like, Lord, open my heart, open my heart to hear your word, and open my heart to what Jesus has to say to me through the word, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, turn, if you would, to Mark chapter three. Mark chapter 3. Let's pray. Father God, when we enter a moment like this, we realize, Lord, that you are good and you are glorious and you are awesome. And when we behold you truly, Lord, our hearts are gripped. And they're warmed and they're transformed. And we see a vision of who you are, Lord. You're the one who holds the world in your hand. And you're the one who sent your son to die on a cross so that you could redeem a world of broken people, all who will believe on your name, all who will believe on the one you sent. And Father, we thank you for Jesus today. We want to adore Jesus today. We want to hear a word of Christ from the scriptures today. And we pray that your spirit would breathe on this word. And I pray for each and every heart here, Lord, that you would tailor a message that would be right what they need most in their soul. Whether they're here broken in sin, whether they're here beat up by life's circumstances, whether they're weary and withering, or they're just full of joy bubbling over for Jesus. Just pray that, that words of encouragement and words of healing and words of truth would strengthen your bride and that you would summon the lost to you. And those without Christ, that they may come to know Jesus today and get the help they need. And Father, I just pray right now that your word would be like a sword. Not that it would just combat the evil one, which it does, but that it would be like a scalpel in the soul doing the work we need most desperately. And so I pray, Father, would your word come forth now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today I just, you know, I have a message that's been burning kind of for a few days now. And I was pumped about it. Um, And then starting to feel like, oh, I've got got loaves and fish here, Lord. I got loaves in a lunchbox. (laughs) And there's like 5,000 people. And what can I do? But God is able to take loaves and fish and feed a multitude. And God has a word from Mark chapter 3 for you. That kind of has its origin in something that happened to me just this past Wednesday as I was pulling into Huck's gas station uh, on Wednesday afternoon And I pulled next to a man uh, who was uh, driving a moving truck and he was filling his car up with gas or his truck up with gas. And I felt really strongly impressed that I needed to share the gospel with this man. And I had to get back to the house, though. So I was like, Lord, I'm sure you're not meeting like right now. Like, I know this is good in theory, but I'm filling my gas tank. I got to get back. And, and I just kept feeling prompted, like you got to share with this man, share with this man. And so, you know, I'm kind of wrestling with that. And I look up at this man and he says, hello to me. He's like, how's it going? <laughs> I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I, I got it. I'm, I'm going to share with him now. <laughs> um, and so I, I looked at him and I saw this Afri- African American man who Was just looked troubled. And as I looked at him. I saw that he had a withered hand. And it was all crumpled up. And he was holding it like this. And when I had went to actually shake his hand. He he couldn't even shake it. I had to shake his hand. And I looked at him. And I told him. Could I pray for you about anything? I would really like to pray for you. And as I said that. His eyes just began to fill up with tears and tears kind of welling and and, and dropping down his cheeks. And he said to me, you're gonna make me cry, man. And he, he began to tell me how many hard things are going on, that he's estranged from his family, that he feels so discouraged and I knew at that moment, I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit's on this thing, right? Like, God's got me here. Like, I'm here for a reason, and I just want to tell you, God loves you. And his name was Carlos. And I said, Carlos, God loves you. And he brought me here this moment to tell you good news. Because no matter what's going on in your life, God has good news for you. Because he sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. And he he did it by dying on a cross as a substitute sacrifice. He was the sinless lamb of God. He died upon a cross. He rose up out of the grave three days later. And anybody who puts their trust in him could be forgiven of their sins. And he was like, I know I'm a sinner. Like, I know. Like, nobody's got to convince me about that and he was so broken, and it was like that withered hand was a picture of what was going on in his heart. His soul was withered. His soul was withered. It was decaying, and it was decaying everything else in his life, and maybe you feel like you're there today. Maybe you feel like, I'm withering today, or even as a a believer, maybe you've been backsliding. Maybe you feel far from God today and you feel like I'm withering. I've got something going on that I feel like my soul's is shriveling up and I've got nothing and I'm coming in hollow to worship. And today in our passage, we're going to get a vision or we're going to get an account actually of Jesus going into the synagogue, going into the Jewish church, right? And he's going to see a man with a withered hand. And that man who had no hope probably could not do much for his livelihood. With a withered hand, you can't do a whole lot. He was probably dependent and begging and in need of help. And Jesus looks at him with dignity and worth and does a work in his life. And maybe you need to hear today that Jesus sees you with dignity and worth. You feel like garbage today. You feel like I'm not worth anything. My life's not amounting to anything. I'm not worth anything. But Jesus sees you with dignity. And he cares. He might see the withered heart. He might see the withered hand. And he cares. And he enters in. To the brokenness of our world. And he came to do something about it. Amen. So let's look as we enter in to this time. Of. Of reading Mark chapter 3, let's look with eyes and let's watch, be paying attention to who Jesus is and be paying attention to what he's doing and maybe even to the opposition he gets. Mark chapter 3 and verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus... Meaning the Pharisees, we'll find out in verse 6. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And he was, his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Six. Six. Simple verses, but so loaded up with gospel truth and so loaded up with tragedy and with profound hope. Because you could look at this passage, you could sit under a a word like this and your heart could just harden just like the Pharisees. And you're like, Jesus, like I've, I've tried the Jesus thing. Your heart is just hard. I've done all that. I've, tri- I've tried that. It didn't work. That's the Pharisees. They've got nothing for Jesus. But there's a man in need. And his hand is all shriveled up. And Jesus looks at him. And he actually can do something in this man's life. And he does more than just heal his hand. He heals him in the place that is most broken. And he can do that for you and I. So let's look at our passage and let's just set the context. What's, what's happening here? I mean, it seems obvious, but the first thing we observe is that he's entering a synagogue, right? Verse 1, he enters the synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand. And then he's got watching eyes going on, right? They're, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. So, Jesus at this point has been regularly encountering opposition in the synagogue, and he's been going regularly to the synagogue, which was like the Jewish church, right? He would go every Sabbath into the synagogue, and Mark chapter 1 says he taught in the synagogue as one who had authority. He didn't teach like these. Scribes and Pharisees who appealed to other men and said, you know, Rabbi so-and-so taught this and Rabbi so-and-so taught that. Jesus said, I say to you, Jesus unfolded the word of God and he's the one who wrote it. And he spoke with an authority and a gravity that just was like a magnetic force and people could not stop listening to what he had to say. And his words would either have a hardening effect or a life-saving effect on people. And the same is true today. You can be hardened to Jesus, or you can receive him as Lord of all. And so he was just committed. Jesus was committed. This is kind of a little side point. He was committed to going to church, the Sabbath, the synagogue, every week on the Sabbath. It was a commitment. It was a fixture, a Jewish staple of worship. And I find that helpful because Jesus was doing ministry on the Sabbath every week. And when you come to church every week, you're going to get encouraged, you're going to get helped, you're going to get served. There was a sense in which Jesus was in touch with the reality that when the people of God gather for worship, God is at work. And of course, He's the Messiah. And Jesus is in our presence today, bearing witness to the truths of his word. So we want to be encouraged. Like every week, I'm coming to church. If you have a chance to encounter God every week, and you do it once a month, you are missing out. So Jesus is in the synagogue, and he sees this man with a withered hand. And he's teaching with authority like nobody else taught. And he's getting into some trouble when it comes to the religious leaders and the hypocrites. Because he taught like nobody else taught. And they were, they were upset. Like, he's, he can't talk like that. And then he would do things like go and sit down and have a meal with a tax collector named Levi... In chapter two, we see, and they're like, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? What's wrong with them? He must be a glutton and a wine bibber to do something like that. And Jesus says, Mm-mm. I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. I came for the sick, not for the well. And of course, he wasn't assuming there was anybody righteous in the room, but him. But the Pharisees were so blind that they couldn't see that they were sick. You see, this whole scenario had been building. And opposition to Jesus had been building. And finally, one of the principal core things that the the Pharisees held so dear was the Sabbath. You don't mess around with the Sabbath. You do not do work on the Sabbath. I mean, it got so bad, you couldn't even like, you know, walk a few... Uh, there, was, there was like, they were counting footsteps that you could walk during the Sabbath. And that was considered a violation of the Sabbath. Even some modern day Orthodox Jews would think like turning a light switch on or something like that is a violation of the Sabbath. And they, they, have, they had gotten so far away from the reality... Of what the Sabbath was all about. That they had the Lord of the Sabbath. Sitting right in front of him. And they're trying to ensnare him. That's the context. They've got Jesus. Lord of the Sabbath. Who made the Sabbath to bless man. As a day of worship. Set apart. For a worship of God. And for doing good. And they're ready like, oh, I bet you Jesus is going to heal somebody. And that's the second thing we see is that there's a trap being set, right? Verse 2 shows us exactly what's happening. There's, there's a wicked intent here. They're, they're lying like serpents in wait seeking to catch Jesus doing something so they can bring charges against him in a court of law. Verse 2. And they watched Jesus. And that's like a longing look. That's like... That's like They're eyeing the room. They're scanning like, okay, let's set things up. And who knows if they even invited this man with the withered hand so as to create a scenario by which they could accuse Jesus. And they were looking to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. And we get the purpose of it all, right? So that they might accuse him. They don't see Jesus as Messiah at all. They see Jesus as a threat. They see Jesus as gathering a following. They see Jesus doing miracles and they know he can heal people and they are plotting and wait to try to catch him up. I think of chapter 2 Where Jesus has a paralytic brought to him and lowered through a roof in front of him and sat in front of him and Jesus doesn't directly heal the man right away, but he looks around. He sees the faith of the man and the faith of the people who brought him and he says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are just all kinds of upset. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But you don't know who you're dealing with. This is Jesus. He is the one who could forgive sins. He is God. And they think he's blaspheming. And Jesus says, okay. Because he can see their hearts. It's the same Pharisees that are in chapter 3 right here. And he says to them, So that you might know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. And he looks at the man and says, take up your bed and walk. And the paralytic gets strength in his legs and begins to leap for joy. And everybody marvels and worships or gives glory to Jesus or God. That is a profound reality. And these men are not there. They've got the same data, and they see in Jesus an imposter. That's a long way. They're the ones who should have known who Jesus was. I mean, if anybody should have known, the Pharisees loved the Word of God, and they loved the law of God... And Jesus would later rebuke them and say, if you actually knew who I was, you'd be listening to Moses because he's been pointing to me all along. And maybe you're in here today and you have a hard heart. You don't want the word of God in your life. You don't want to hear about it. And deep down, you know, it's true. But you've just gotten calloused. You've gotten hard to the things of God. And Jesus is going to enter into this situation and his whole presence is going to change the dynamic of the room because he doesn't get sucked into the trap. He takes the trap and flips it on its head. He springs the trap in order to show the Pharisees who the Lord of the Sabbath is. And so we're reminded in verse two, there's two kinds of responses to Jesus, right? Recoiling, bitter, envious, jealous, and full of worship, and full of expectancy, and full of trust. And we do mindful to examine our hearts to see where they are at today. Do you lean in to Jesus with expectant hope? There's been a lot of talk of revival the past several weeks and the first step towards revival in any church or any person's heart is a desperate leaning into God, a desperate leaning in, a humbling of oneself, being put in the place of this man who's who's got a withered hand and, and he's being used as a pawn by the Pharisees, but Jesus sees something so much more there Brothers and sisters revival will not begin if our hearts are hardened but if they're humble that's the wellspring from which revival that's the soil from which revival grows and springs so we see here we move from this trap to all of a sudden Jesus springs it and shows them just what he's up to. Look at verse three. Look at this. This is let the spirit of God speak to you as we read these words. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here, come here, come, come here in front of everybody. Come here in front of everyone. If, if you know anything about disabilities or disfigurement or things like this, a man with a withered hand is usually going to probably hide his hand. He doesn't want to be brought out into the open, right? So it takes a step of faith for this man to come, but it's at the command of Jesus. Jesus is bringing him center stage. The Pharisees are thinking, oh, well, he might heal. Jesus could have said, I'm going to handle this privately. I don't want to get into a thing with the Pharisees, right? We'll just deal. I'll heal you on the side, on the down low. Or he could have said, you know what? Let's wait till Sunday. It's cool. You'll be fine. You know, you'll you'll make it to Sunday. No, he, he sees the man. He looks at him. He sees him with dignity. And he says, come right here. Come out in front of everybody. And he actually cares. And maybe you're in here today and and really deep down in your heart, deep down in the place no one can see but God, you feel like nobody cares about you. And so you've been chasing satisfaction in all the wrong places. And Jesus looks at you and says, I care. I care about you. I care about where you're at. I care about where you are. I know where you are, and I love you, and I see you, and I'm bringing you center stage because I'm going to do a work here. And this man is being brought to the center of the room, all eyes on him and Jesus. And it's not a mark of Jesus trying to shame this man, but he's trying to set the man free. And he's not just trying, he's about to. He's just getting warmed up. So you look at verse 4. And Jesus said to the Pharisees now, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill it? But they were silent. So Jesus deals with the spiritual decay in the room. He knows what's going on in the room. There, there is, there's nothing like somebody with a hard heart who's a spiritual, religious hypocrite who just wants to quench the spirit of God. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with the hypocrisy and I'm going to ask a question about the law of the Sabbath. Is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal or to kill? And verse 6 reminds us that the Pharisees are going to end the show by trying to plot to kill Jesus on the Sabbath. And Jesus is here ready to set this man free and to heal him. And Jesus' question to them is exposing their hearts. He's saying, look, your heart is all wrong. You twisted. You're not even interpreting the Sabbath right. You think you're building fences around my father's law? And you know what you're doing? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for this man with a withered hand. And he's, he's here and he's hopeless and he's dejected. And you would, would, would withhold help from him? Oh, hypocrites. Hypocrites. And by verse 5, he's looking at them and he's he's looking around at them with anger. With a righteous, holy, indignant anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. There's a complexity to Jesus' response where he sees the, the, the sin and the wickedness and he's angry. And yet he's grieved deep down that their hearts are so hard and so vile and so wicked that they would seek. To prevent this man from getting the help he needs. And entrap the son of God. Which they can't. And they're not successful. But their mouth is silenced. Verse 4 says. And they just kept quiet. They just shh. Jesus knows how to give people different medicine they need. Proud-hearted people need to be cut down in their proud-heartedness. And humble, needy, broken people need the compassionate love of Jesus to break in. And you just got to sense where your heart's at today. Am I I, I hardened to this? As I'm talking, it's it's like, are you resisting and recoiling or is it like, I need the the Savior. I need Jesus to break in. I need the Son of God who looks at me with eyes that see all of my faults and all of my trauma and all of my difficulties and all of my pain and he sees me with worth and dignity and he cares about me. And he did not come to judge. He came to save. And the devil... Is the accuser of the brethren. He's called Apollyon. And that's the very word that's used of the Pharisees. In verse 6. When it says the Pharisees went out. And immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. To destroy him. The devil is the destroyer. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. And if you don't know Jesus today. That's exactly what he wants to do. And he does it by the hardening of your heart. To the things of God. And would that we would be stabbed awake by this account if we are in the place of the Pharisee with our hearts hard and withered. This man's hand is withered. This man's hand is shriveled up. But Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, that's your heart. That's your hearts. You stiff-necked people who constantly resist the spirit of God. Jesus once warned of the hardness of the heart of religious people. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hens gather her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus said those words in pronouncing a warning over Jerusalem because they had missed the visitation of their Messiah. It's like, I've tried to gather you, but you wouldn't. I've sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and you killed them. And now you're going to kill me. Your hearts were hard. Stephen... Rebuked the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders in his final sermon right before his martyrdom. When he says in the book of Acts. You stiff necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so you do. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Whom you have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. You couldn't even keep it yourself. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. The hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And one of the people who was doing it and consented to it all and held the coats of everybody who stoned Stephen was a man named Saul who would become the Apostle Paul. He killed Christians. He had a heart like these men in Mark chapter 3. And he couldn't see the Savior and he killed Jesus' people. And it's not until he gets knocked off his horse and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you resisting? And Saul is humbled. And one to Jesus that very moment, and raised up as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I have a lot of hope for hardened people. You might be hard today, but Jesus can break up the fallow ground. Jesus can work in your heart, and He can make you into somebody who begins to see clearly. Where the Pharisees were blind. Last thing I see in this passage. Is tremendous. Tremendous. Faith. And I've been praying for this part. Of the sermon. Just the past day or so. Just tremendous faith. As we see Jesus calling a man. And he has to step out. Into the open. He has to step out. He has to trust Jesus at his word. Step out. And stretch out his hand. Look with me. Verse 5 again. Jesus looked around at them with anger. And grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man. He looks at them with anger. And he speaks to the man with dignity. And with care and with compassion. And he's doing that to you today. No matter where you're at. And he says to the man. Stretch out your hand and his hand or and he stretched it out and his hand was restored. We forget that Jesus healing ministry in the gospels is about salvation because the same word for healing is often the same word for salvation. And even in our passage verse 4 he talks about is it lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do harm to save life that's the word for salvation. Or to kill. Jesus aims at this man's heart. Even though he heals his hand. And this man must believe Jesus at his word. And stretch out his hand. And it's impossible to do. He's got a withered hand. When I was talking to Carlos on Wednesday. He couldn't shake my hand. His hand was so withered. He couldn't shake it. I had to get up in there. To shake his hand and to look him in the eye with dignity and say, God loves you. And that's what Jesus is doing with this man. He's giving him dignity. And maybe you haven't had dignity lately. Maybe you've lived undignified. And God is speaking to you today and saying, I care about you. I care about you. I love you. And I care so much that I'm drawing you out of whatever you're into. I'm drawing you out. And I'm drawing you to trust my words. To stretch out your hand. To stretch out your hand and trust me. And be made whole. And this man's hand was restored. And do you know what that word is in the Greek? It's the very same word we get for revival. His hand was revived. His hand was brought back to original condition. He did the impossible because he took Jesus at his word. And with God, nothing is impossible. And so you think like, yeah, but that couldn't happen today. God doesn't work in those ways today. I mean, I was just reminded on Wednesday, minding my own business, going to a gas station, that God is up to bigger things than I think or than you think. And maybe you've been stifling the Spirit's work in your life and you've been not listening to the Spirit when he's telling you to do stuff and he's moving you towards things and you know it's of God because the devil's not going to be like, go share the gospel, right? And we can resist the spirit in subtle ways. Maybe God's been speaking to you about repentance. And you haven't been repenting. Maybe God's been speaking to you about being a bold witness. And you haven't been bold. And he's saying stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand to me. And you feel like no I'm impotent. I can't talk. I can't speak. Maybe he's saying just get more involved. Stretch out your hand. Will you stretch it out. And watch what I do. Jesus can do work in your soul, and especially when you don't think it can happen. And maybe you've given up a long time ago on this Jesus thing being really real. And you've settled for this this sort of organized religion, this civil American good old boy religion, but it's not what the New Testament is all about. The New Testament is watching Jesus work in hearts and minds and renew people and say to people who are withered like the paralytic, stretch out your hand. And then he begins to do surgery in the soul and he heals withered souls, withered hearts, pricked consciences. Jesus talks like this all over the gospel. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So, you feel spiritual declension in your life, you feel far from the Lord, you feel withering, stretch out your hand to the Lord. This man believed Jesus Christ at his word when it meant public embarrassment. If Jesus can't make good, I'm up there with a withered hand looking like a fool. And they brought me in here for that very reason. And Jesus was there for a whole nother reason. Some of you live with so much shame. So much pain. So much discouragement. And Jesus is saying to you, as he said to the withered man, stretch out your hand. Stretch it out. You don't think he can do it, but he can. Stretch out your hand. You don't think he can deal with your heart? Stretch out your hand. You don't think he can repair a relationship that's broken and a marriage that's shattered? Stretch out your hand. You don't think that he can heal you of past trauma? Stretch out your hand. Last I checked, there's no psychologist in the Bible. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. It's okay. It's good to talk to people about your problems. But Jesus can deal with a withered heart. And nobody else can. Only Jesus. I can remember a few years back this is probably four or five years ago Clarissa and I were talking to a young girl in our living room and she was so broken her mom who didn't even speak English brought her over and she was a mess and she was into all kinds of trouble and she began to share with us that she was Into the party life, just into the party scene. She was going from party to party to party, and pretty soon she picked the wrong one. And this little girl, shaking, so full of life and vibrancy, but so troubled, so petrified, so wounded, so hollow, the shell of a person in front of us. She said, I went to one party with my boyfriend. And it didn't end well. And the one who was supposed to care for her most. Abandoned her. And she was attacked. And she was. Scarred. And she was wounded. And I would find out that. That's exactly what her father did to her. So long ago. And she's crying and sharing, like, I've got no hope. My soul's withered. I'm wounded. I've been raped. I've been abused by my family. And everybody who says they love me doesn't really love me. But Jesus does. And we began to share with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like I talked to Carlos on Wednesday. I said, Jesus cares about you. Jesus sees you with dignity. Yes, you are wounded and traumatized. But Jesus can bring healing. Yes, it was a wicked sin that was done. And Jesus hates it more than you do. And you know what? God has hope for troubled hearts and withering souls. And this young girl... Gave her life to Christ. Amen. She went in a mess. But she went out smiling and rejoicing. Because salvation visited her. Now listen. Carlos. Withered hand. Was at a gas station at the exact moment. That God wanted to do a work in his heart. And he sent a pastor. To pump gas next to him. He didn't want to do, talk to him. And he arranged it all so that Carlos could hear the gospel. And Carlos stretched out his hand to the Lord. And his withered heart was healed. And Carlos just had wide eyes of joy. And the tears were were coming down were now tears of joy. Not cloudy tears of pain in a family that's been ravaged by sin. And I pray and we can pray for Carlos that he makes it into a church and gets the help that he needs because Jesus is not done with Carlos. And so maybe you're here today and Jesus has just been telling you, will you stretch out your hand? Will you come to me? He paid the price for your sins on a cross. He was forsaken so that you might be forgiven. He was crucified and delivered up so you might be delivered from your sin and saved. He went to a cross so you could be renewed. And it's time to start trusting and taking Jesus at His word. Let's pray. Father, I ask You, Lord... That you would be working in the hearts of everyone in this room. That the spirit of the living God would be moving. And Lord, there are some that you have called to stretch out their hand. Whatever the reason is, maybe they need to trust you truly. And just bring their vulnerable heart before you and stretch out their hand. Maybe they've just been backsliding so badly and they just feel so wounded and they feel afraid. And Jesus is just saying, come to me. You're weary, you're, you're heavy laden, stretch out your hand. And maybe there's some here that just need fresh revival in their soul and you're asking them to stretch out their hand. You know, that's you, if you're, if you're here and you're hearing the words of my voice and you know that Jesus is speaking to you, just raise your hand up. It's stretch out your hand and raise it up that the Lord might do a work in your heart. Rise up, stretch out your hand really high. God bless you. Stretch out your hand. If the Lord is doing a work in your heart and you just need to get real, God bless you. Stretch out your hand. Jesus is looking at you with dignity. Stretch out your hand. The devil's been lying to you. Stretch out your hand and raise up and trust the Lord. Father, I pray for these that have stretched out their hands, you know their hearts. And I pray, God, that they would be clinging to you now and that they would just say a simple prayer with me in their heart. They would say, Dear Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that my heart is withered, but that you can heal me. Please forgive me my sins. Please renew my weary soul. Please come into my life and make it new. Lord, bring revival in my heart. And I trust that you went to the cross for me, that you bore the wrath I deserve, and that you can give forgiveness of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Lord, do that work. And Father, for those of us that just needed gospel encouragement today and to be reminded of the power of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would move on our hearts and that we would never let go, but that we would always be stretching out our hands to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.